Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. Since Easter, we have been working our way through a selection of accounts in the book of Acts that show us how the message of the resurrected Lord was carried out into Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we've been seeing how that message shaped and really established the early church. And this morning we come to a story in Acts chapter 14, a story uh, where Paul is in the city of Lystra. He performs a miracle, but it is not properly understood. And so as we look at this story, and as we look at the miracles, we look at the misunderstanding, and as then we look at Paul's message uh, in response to that misunderstanding, uh, we will learn something important about the salvation and the life that is now ours in and through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let us read it together. Acts chapter 14, uh, beginning at verse 8. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew near you. And you will find Acts 14 on page 923. So Acts chapter 14, beginning at verse 8. Listen to this. This is the very Word of God. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Laconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heavens and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, he scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. That is the reading of God's word. Let us pray and ask for his blessing upon our study this morning. Pray with me. Father God, we do ask that your Holy Spirit would now open our eyes to see You and to hear Your voice in Your Word. Father, may we hear Your truth and may we be shaped by it, that we might be set free to live to the praise of Your glory and bring good to Your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder when the first time in your life you began to really appreciate the importance of good health. And when you are healthy, you just sort of presume that you will always be healthy. You just assume that's the way that it's that it's supposed to be. And for most of my life growing up, I was always healthy. I always, you know, occasional cold here, occasional sickness there. But for the most part, I was 
healthy. And it was only as I began to experience a few injuries here and there, usually on the soccer field, uh, sometimes doing other foolish things. But, but one way or another, I would break a wrist or I would break my toe or I would you know, break my ribs or nose or something. And then you would suddenly realize that when you're not healthy, when part of you is, is broken, you are severely limited. I remember um, before my senior year in college, my last season, my last opportunity to play soccer, I was playing a, a pickup basketball game of all things. I'm not good at basketball. It's not my favorite sport, but I was playing. And in playing, I kind of got tripped and I fell down and landed on my wrist and broke my wrist. And tried to ignore it. Eventually, I had to go to the doctor, went to the doctor, and they said, well, you're going to need surgery. You know, I was like, it's a little tiny bone. How can I possibly need surgery? And they're like, well, you need surgery. I was like, well, I need a second opinion. And so I went to another orthopedic, and he said, well, yeah, you need surgery. And so I went to a third, and he said, yeah, you need surgery. And so finally I found one who told me I didn't need surgery. <laughs> Fourth doctor, he was just going to put a cast on it. And so that's what we decided to do. But, but even, even with a cast, even not going through the surgery, severely limited, missed like half the season because I couldn't play. I, I couldn't do what I wanted to do. I couldn't do the things I was accustomed to doing. I, I found out the importance of health. And that's a small thing. But you've had similar experiences, maybe more serious experiences. Experiences where you have come face to face with the realities of sickness, the realities of, of brokenness, and what happens when you aren't healthy. But what we're going to see this morning, in this story, is that in a sense, none of us is healthy. But that salvation in Christ is all about our health being restored. When we look at this passage, we see that it kind of divides naturally into three parts. First, in verses 8 through 10, we have the miracle. We have the miracle that sort of starts the whole episode off. Then in verses 11 through 13, we have the misunderstanding. We have the people's response to that miracle. And then finally, in the last verses, verses 14 through 18, we have Paul's message. His, his words meant to correct the misunderstanding and to explain the miracle. And I think as we work our way through these steps, through the miracle, through the misunderstanding and through the message, we are going to learn something very important about health. And something very important about the salvation that leads to health. And we're going to learn something very important about what we are called to when we are called to Christ. So let's begin with the miracle. We see it there in verses 8 through 10. Paul is in Lystra. He is on this missionary journey. He is preaching and he sees a man there who is crippled. Uh, he has been crippled from birth, we are told. And as this man listens to Paul, Paul, uh, through the... He has faith to be made well. And so Paul looks at him intently and says, stand up and walk. And as soon as Paul speaks the words, the man is healed. His, his, his legs are healed. His, his legs are made strong. And immediately he springs up and he begins to walk. And obviously this is an amazing event. 
word. This is a word that, that, that properly elicits amazement from us, that, proce- that properly strikes us with awe. This is not something that we see every day. This man was crippled from birth. He had never walked. He had never used his legs. We, we know how our muscles atrophy when we don't use them for a short time. I remember what my arm looked like when I took that cast off after uh, the many weeks. When we don't use our muscles for just a little while, they begin to atrophy. This man had never used his legs. He had never used his, his muscles. His bones had never held his weight. And yet, when, Christ, when Paul speaks to him in the name of Christ, he is immediately restored to health. He immediately springs up and he immediately begins to walk. The, the healing is complete. The healing is immediate. And the crowds are properly amazed. They are just blown over. They are bewildered. They don't understand, but they know that something amazing has happened in their presence. In fact, they think that the gods have come down in the likeness of men. Only a god could do such a thing is their response. They think Barnabas is Zeus, maybe because he was the older of the two. And they think Paul is Hermes because he's the one who talks a lot. And so, you know, they say, these must be the gods who have come down among us. And, and knowing they're thinking that these are the gods that have come down among us, they want to honor them as gods. And so the first thing that we see here is that this miracle is something amazing. It is, it is something that, that gets our attention But if we don't see beyond that, we'll miss the point. You see, it's not just a random display of power. It's not just something that inspires awe. It's not just a fireworks show. That's not why Paul does the miracle. That's not why Jesus did his miracles. The miracle is more than just a display of power. The miracle is meant to be a picture of our salvation. You see, what is the message that Paul is proclaiming? It is the message that Christ is King. The King who brings the kingdom. The, the King who has come to put right this world that has put, been put wrong by our sin and by our rebellion. He's come to say, listen, we live in a world that is broken. But God comes to put it right. And He has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And so this healing miracle, this restoration of health is a picture of the message that Paul is proclaiming. It is a picture of the salvation that he is proclaiming. You see, salvation is a restoration of health. Salvation is life put back the way that it is supposed to be. What we are offered in Jesus Christ is life as God intended it. Life as He designed it to be. It's not just about escaping from the punishment of our sins. It's not just about escaping some unwanted consequences. It is about being restored to health. Being restored to life. Being set free to walk in the way that God intended us to go. To to walk according to His blueprint. To walk in His ways. Salvation equals health. And that's where we must begin this morning. That's the point that we must see first. We must understand that when God offers to save us through Christ, He is offering to restore us to life as He intends it to be. You see, this has some significant implications for us. 
First of all, the offer of salvation as the offer of health reminds us that by nature, none of us is healthy. But by nature, each of us is like this lame man. We are born lame. We've been this way from birth in Adam. We have been lame. We have been crippled. We have been unable to walk, unable to live life as it is meant to be lived. The author of Hebrews uses the language of being entangled. He, he says, you know, put off those sins that so easily entangle you and keep you from what? Keep you from running the race that is then set before you. So there, the, the life that God intends is, is pictured as a race and sin is that which entangles us and keeps us from running that race. Paul uses even stronger language in Ephesians where he says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, unable to walk in the way that God would have us to go. But, but all the images are the same. The, the message is consistent throughout the New Testament that we are lame, we are crippled, we are entangled, we are even dead in our sins. We are unable, unable to live life as God has designed it to be lived. We are unable to... To, to honor Him. We are unable to, to follow His commands. We are unable to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are selfish to our core, entangled in, in all kinds of, of scheming and, and bitterness to put our interests first. That is where we are by birth. That is where we are by nature. Lacking the ability, lacking the power to live life as God intended it to be lived. But this is where the gospel breaks in. This is where the message of, of Christ breaks in because what is proclaimed in Jesus' name is the restoration of health. What is proclaimed in Jesus' name is a salvation that sets us free from that which entangles us. A salvation that actually makes those who are dead, those who are dry bones, it makes them alive. It sets us free. It sets us free to live life as God intended. It sets us free to, to worship and to serve Him, to, to follow Him, to, to walk in His ways in every aspect of our lives. To do our work to the praise of His glory. To, to love our spouses and to honor them as we were intended. To, to raise our children in the instruction and the discipline of the Lord. To, to put the interest of our neighbors before our own. To, to give sacrificially for the good of others out of our time and our wealth and our resources. This is what salvation is about. It's about setting us free to live life as God designed it. And when you see this, when you, when you see that salvation is too health, you begin to understand why there's no such thing as salvation without lordship. So people will sometimes want to know, well, can I have Jesus as my Savior without having Him as my Lord? And, and the answer is no. No, you can't because salvation is to lordship. It is Christ's lordship. It is Christ's rule over all of His creation that is health. It is in living in submission to His word that is good. That's the very definition of salvation. That's what you're being saved to. That's what we saw in the Psalms this morning. We, we celebrate God because He rules the world with righteousness. Because things are good when they are in submission to His Word. That's what we are being saved to. We're being saved to be His servants. And there is nothing better than that. Salvation is to Lordship. And because salvation is to Lordship, salvation is to health, to life as it's supposed to be. 
You see, the promised land, the the land that God has promised to give to His people is not life as you want it to be. It's not life as you would define it. But rather, it's life as God has designed it. And to our immature, unsaved ears, that doesn't sound good. But when God opens your eyes to the truth, you begin to see that there is nothing better than to be a servant in His house. For He is a good and gracious God. And to follow Him is life. So that's where we begin this morning. We begin by seeing that salvation is to health. It is to a life as it is meant to be. Life in conformity to God's Word. The second thing we see in this passage is the misunderstanding. The misunderstanding that comes in verses 11 through 13. Uh, the, the crowd see what Paul has done. They see that he has restored this man to health and they are excited. They recognize this as a good thing. But they don't recognize the source of the good thing. You see, what we learn from this, what we learn from this crowd's response to this miracle, we learn is that, that people often desire salvation. They desire to be saved. That is, they they approve of health. They recognize health as a good thing. That's clearly the case with the crowd. They, They recognize this man being made well as a good thing. It's better to be healthy. It's better to be able to walk than it is to be lame, than it is to be crippled. That's a good thing. That's a move in the right direction. You know, no one is accusing Paul of of demeaning this man's uniqueness by healing him. No, it's a recognition that you know, what he was, his condition before was not good. It was, it was not the way things were supposed to be. Now it is better. Now it is right. He has been made well. The crowd recognizes that. And people today often recognize the goodness of health. They, they recognize, at least to some degree, the goodness of life as God intends it to be. Just think about it. People want jobs but give them a sense of purpose and fulfillment. They, they want jobs that they think are significant. They, they want jobs that, that accomplish something of value. That's good. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's God's design for work. We're talking about that in Sunday school right now. People want marriages that are intimate and satisfying. They, they, they recognize when a marriage is not healthy and they want a marriage that is healthy. That's, that's good. They, they recognize something good there. They want children who honor them. They want children who they delight in. That's good. They recognize the value of health. That's the way that it's supposed to be. To a certain extent, people want to be virtuous. At least they don't want to be ashamed of who they are. They don't want to be ashamed of their character. They, they want to be people who can be respected. This is why they make excuses for the things that they do, because they they want to feel like, well, there's some virtue in me. That's good. That's the way it ought to be. People want self-control. People do not want to be slaves to self-destructive patterns. They, They want to be able to stop doing the things that are killing them. People want these things. People recognize the the goodness of health. Now, of course... We have to say that they often misunderstand the true nature of these things and they almost always, until the Holy Spirit works in their heart, misunderstand the source of these things. But they still want health. 
They want health. And that's a, that's a good thing. But what we must do is we must recognize that they are looking for this health in all the wrong places. They are pursuing this health by all the wrong avenues. That's what we see with this crowd. They, they attribute this healing to Zeus. They attribute this healing to, to Hermes. They, they think that the Greek gods have somehow come down to them in the, in the form of men and have, and have given this healing to this man. They want to worship their gods as if their gods had done this. Well, today, most people aren't worshiping Zeus and, and Hermes. Zeus and Hermes are reduced to characters in children's books today. But nevertheless, people are still attributing health to the wrong source. They are still pursuing it by the wrong avenues. And the avenues are different. There's a whole multitude of avenues that people might use to pursue health today. There are some people who think that health is going to come to them if the government will just do its job. The government will make their life better. The government will, will give them uh, the life that they are after. If they just had the right laws. Other people say, well, government could never do that. It's a free market economy. That's what's going to give us what we want. If we just had a free market economy, if the government would just get their hands off, then life would be as it is supposed to be. Of course, neither is probably right. Others recognize that such external things are probably never going to put life right the way that they want it to be. And so they turn more internally. It's more about psychology. It's more about positive thinking. It's more about self-esteem. But there's, they're going to do something in their mind. They're going, to, they're going to learn some way to think that's going to let them enjoy life as they want it to be. That's going to give them health. But whatever it is. People are looking to all kinds of things that are going to let them experience life as it is meant to be. But the things they are looking to are Zeus and Hermes. As Paul says it, the things they are looking to are vain things. Things that are fruitless. Things that have no real power. Things that cannot possibly give them what they want. Things that cannot possibly give them the health that they are after. And I want you to see that their desire for health and their pursuit of it by the wrong ends is an opportunity for those of us who know the truth. It is an opportunity for us to point to Christ as the only true reason for hope. I know as soon as I say that, we start to get a little uncomfortable. You know, evangelism, ooh, you know, that, that's a topic we don't like to, to talk about. That, that's a topic that makes us feel guilty. You know, we feel guilty for not doing it, and that makes us feel bad, but not so bad that we're actually going to go do it, because doing it would feel even worse. That's the way, that we, that's the way we think about evangelism. And, and I understand that to a certain extent. I, I feel those same we, it's not that we don't want people to be saved. It's not that we don't want people to come to know our Savior. But, man, we just don't want to go through the process of having to tell them about it. We wish somebody else would, would do that. But here's what I want you to see this morning. The first thing I want you to see this morning is that you're already an evangelist. Already this morning, you are an evangelist. You already tell people about the things that you think are good news. It's, it's what human beings do. In fact, as Lewis said, that, that our enjoyment of the good is actually not only expressed, but completed by the sharing of it with others. 
what we do when we go to a restaurant that we like, we tell people about it. When we see a movie that we like, we tell people about it. When we read a book that we like, we tell people about it. And that Last time you saw a good movie, you probably didn't go knock on the door of someone to tell them, hey, what? you know what, I have this great movie I want to tell you about. How did you do it? You, you did it in the course of your normal life. You did it in the course of the normal life. Hey, this is something good. Let me tell you about it. You see, we, I think, conceive of evangelism wrong. But fundamentally, Salvation is to help. Salvation is to life as it is meant to be. When you see people who are dealing with the pains of life as it was not meant to be, when you, when you see people who are dealing with the, the pains of, of a broken life, it's an opportunity to say to them, hey, let me tell you where health can be found. Let me tell you the source of my hope. Let me tell you the source of my salvation. And what this does is it sets us free to look for those who are sort of ripe to hear the message. I read a book recently by a guy named James McDonald. He's a, a, he's a pastor somewhere in the Midwest. I don't remember exactly. I think he's in Chicago. Um, but, you know, he, uh, he, he wrote a book. And one of the chapters in that book was on evangelism. And he said, listen, he said, I encourage my people not to waste a minute of time on green fruit. You know, fruit that's not ready. He said there's just way too much ripe fruit out there. There's, there's way too much. Uh, there's way too many people out there who, who are presently, existentially aware of the brokenness of their life and are looking for hope. There's way too many of those people out there than, than to waste your time on the people who think their life is good and, and think they're going and think they're just fine without God. Be, be, be aware of the people who are looking for hope. Be aware of the people who are, who are looking for, for brokenness. Let me, let me help you understand this. I, I think you can think of it three ways. And you could probably break it up other ways, but there's at least three things that you will see in people's lives that say, hey, they're ready to hear the message. One is they are dealing with guilt. They are dealing with shame. They know they are not who they are supposed to be. Maybe it's something in particular they've done. Maybe it's just the whole pattern of their life. But they are dealing with guilt. They are, they are dealing with shame. And they know they are not who they are supposed to be. And to such people, you have the opportunity to say, I know what it is to be guilty. I know what it is to be ashamed. Let me tell you about the one who has taken my guilt upon himself. Let me tell you how your guilt can be dealt with. Other people you will encounter, they're, they're not maybe not as, as aware of their guilt, but they are aware of their weakness. They are aware of their powerlessness. They have been dealing with certain behaviors in their life and they have just been utterly unable to put them off. They have been unable to stop. They haven't been able to control their temper. They haven't been able to control their tongue. They, they haven't been able to control their lust. Whatever it is, they are enslaved to a sinful behavior that they recognize as killing them. And they are ready to be set free. They are dealing with their weakness. And to such people, you can say, let me tell you. Let me tell you about the one who was raised victorious over death and whose power is now available to all who believe in him. There's a power that is available. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Or maybe you're dealing with people who are just struggling with the meaninglessness of life. They don't know what life is for. They, they feel blasé. Everything is vanity to them. It's all a vapor. It's all meaningless. 
And they're like, what's, what's this all about? And you have an opportunity to confess to them and say, listen, let me tell you about the one who infuses your life with purpose. You can be a servant of the King. You, your work can matter for His kingdom. And there are maybe other ways as well, but, but I think that at least gives you a, an opening snapshot of what these conversations might look like. As you encounter people who are struggling, as you encounter people who are coming face to face with the brokenness of life, with the fact that they're not healthy, you have the opportunity to proclaim to them the source of health, the only true source of health. You see, they're looking for it, but they're looking for it in all the wrong places. They're looking for it in the self-help section of, of Barnes & Noble. They're, they're looking for it with the, in TV gurus. They're looking for it from the government. They're, they're looking for it from a job. They're looking for it in all the wrong places. They're looking for it through Zeus and Hermes. But those are vain things. And we must learn, like Paul, to be able to express to them the message of the true and the living God. We must be prepared to point to Him as the reason for our hope. And that's exactly what we see Paul do here. Notice what he says. He says, listen, don't worship us. We're just men. But, but don't worship Zeus and Hermes either. I have come to call you away from those vain things. He says there is only one true and living God. Now, in this short account, Paul doesn't get into the full message, but we know that he was already preaching before this happened. And we know that he preaches after this happened because we're told a little bit later that these men came to put their faith in the Lord. We see that in verse 23. And so clearly Paul goes on to express to them that the living God has spoken and revealed himself in Jesus Christ. And it is through Jesus Christ that we can be reconciled to him. It is through Jesus Christ that we can have the life that he intended us. To have. And we must learn to do the same thing. We must learn to point to the living and the true God because notice what Paul says. He says, Up until now, God has been patient with you. God has allowed you to walk in your own ways. Now, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean he wasn't counting you guilty. It means he hasn't yet punished you for your rebellion. He hasn't yet poured out his wrath on you. He has been long suffering with you as you have gone your own way rather than his way. In his letter to the Romans, he says he has left former sins unpunished. But notice, it's up until now God has done this. Now he is calling us to account. There's a day coming when we will be called to account for the life that we have lived. And so there's a sense of urgency here. It's not just, you know, this will be better for you if you, if you do it, you know, come around to it at some point. It's like, no, today, while the day is still called today, call upon this God for salvation because it is being offered to you today and you don't know when that offer will expire. You don't know the day of your death. You don't know the day of his return. You don't know when the day of salvation will end. He is calling you today to respond to Him in faith and repentance because He is the only source of salvation. Put your trust in Him. Receive health from Him. This is Paul's message. And we know that not everyone responded positively. Notice, Paul said, it says in verse 18, even with these words, they could, he could scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifices. They, they didn't immediately say, oh, yes. We understand now. And that will not be your experience either. As you, as you proclaim, you may scarcely be able to keep people from continuing to put their faith in the false things that they have believed in up until now. 
But look at verse 23. Because it says, when they had appointed elders in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Some will respond. Because that is what God does. God works through the word proclaimed to bring people to himself. And that's really the ultimate thing that takes the pressure off. You just have to be ready to point to Christ as the reason for your hope. It's up to him. It's up to him to bring the harvest. It's up to him to produce the fruit. It's up to him to open people's minds and hearts to to believe the gospel. You just point to your Savior. You just point to the living and true God. That's what you are called to do. You put your trust in Him. And then as one who trusts Him, call others to do the same. You see, we are born crippled. We are born lame. Worse than that, we are born dead in our trespasses and sins. But God offers us life. God offers us health. He offers to, to restore to us what life is supposed to be through His Son, Jesus Christ, through His resurrected Lord. And if we will put our faith in Him, we can have this life, and then we can become a source of life to others. Not because there's anything special in us. What does Paul say? Hey, we're just men like you. But we can become a source of life to others as we point them to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because the Gospel says whosoever believes, whosoever responds, whosoever believes, whosoever puts his trust in him, they will not perish, but will have eternal life. Eternal life as it's supposed to be. Eternal health with God. And because that is what is offered to us and because that is what we have the opportunity to offer to others, that is why we call this good news. Now, do you believe that? Pray with me. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the message of salvation. Thank you for the message of health. And forgive us, Father, for being so reluctant to share this message with others. Father, set us free. Set us free to be witnesses and confessors of the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. That through us, others might come to know the same salvation that is ours through Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.